We've been talking about I can. Everybody say, I can. There's powerful verses in Philippians chapter 4. Verse number 12 says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Paul said, I have learned the secret of being content. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he, he throws out this extremely famous verse for a lot of people in the Christian church. One, one of the most quoted, probably one of the most familiar. I mean, it certainly ranks within probably the top five of familiar verses in the Bible. He says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. For those of us raised in a King James environment, we will quote this verse like this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all this. Uh, I, can, I can do this. Well, whatever it is that I'm facing in life, Paul is saying, whether it is, whether it is times of plenty or or times of want, I can do this. I can do this. I can sustain negative times. I can rejoice in positive times without, without it going to my head. I can, I can sustain my life in this strength that comes from God, and, and I can, I can do this. You know, I mean, the first week we talked about I can make it. I, I think that that's important because throughout the Bible, you see these heroes of faith. If you look in Hebrews of chapter 11, especially of Hebrews, the heroes of faith, you, you kind of go down through this whole thing about these people who sustained good times, bad times, who fought battles, who went through famines, who suffered want and suffered need, suffered loss in their life, but somehow no, they land in this category of people that would not allow circumstances in life to completely overtake them. They said, I can make it. I can get through this. I can. I can. See, there's this I, there's this I can-ness. I can-ness. You know, we kind of make up words with the suffix ness. You know, I can-ness in, in the Word of God. You know, I mean, it's your David's in the Word of God that said, I can beat the giant. It's, it's your children of Israel led by, led by Moses that, that would say, uh, we can uh, make it from Egypt or we can pass through the Red Sea. We, we can do this. There is this I can-ness about the Word of God that resonates in the heart of the people of faith. Last week we talked about I can choose I can choose. I think that's important because in every one of our lives, we have the power of choice. We can choose what we're going to say. We can choose how we're going to respond. We can choose how we're going to act. So we're going to pull the curtain back of excuse saying, well, I just couldn't help myself. No, actually we can. We can make good decisions. We can choose. Then there's today. (laughs) I am not even going to surprise you with our subject for today because it stands boldly clear. Today I'm going to talk about I can love. I can love. Love is a 
funny thing. I mean, especially in the English language, love is somewhat confusing. You can love your spouse, and you can love your car. Think about that for a second. In the English language, you can love your children and love your dog. Sometimes the children feel like you love the dog more than you love them, but Got to rise out the front row. <laughs> you can love chocolate. I think we have some chocolate in the house today somewhere. I don't know. It's going to be out there in the foyer for you, I guess. I don't know where the chocolate. Where is the chocolate? You can love chocolate. Or you can love each other. Toby Keith says you can love a bar. And when we say these, these words concerning love, obviously in the English language, you then have to equate it back to the particular context or the connotation in which we say the, lo- the word love. You know, like, I mean, I really love my truck, but I don't love my truck in the same way that I love my wife. Happy Valentine's Day, darling. Happy Valentine's Day, darling. We need to make up new words of that one. I'm not singing that one to you. I'm going to spoon her during this session. Love. Sometimes our connotation or our feeling of love is this kind of love that is so... Resident in our feelings. I often talk to couples who are to get married and I I try to remind them that love has to be deeper than our feelings. I mean for for you know that particular arrangement. And yet we think about this thing called love, crazy little thing called love. And we look at it from a biblical sense. That's really, really what I want to key on in the next 20 minutes or so is for us to recognize that biblically, just as with the English language, biblically when we read the word love, especially in the New Testament where the primary language is Greek, we have to understand that when we read the word love in the Bible, it may hold within itself various connotations that are different from each other. Let me say this, for instance. In the Bible, there is a Greek word, eros. The Greek word eros is translated Love. But yet the connotation of this word is a hotly passionate feeling akin to lust. It means to be on fire, to be passionate 
Therefore, we get the English word erotic from the Greek word eros. But in your Bible, it is translated love. And then in the Bible, there is another predominant Greek word. I'm only giving three of the seven, the top three. The second word is phileo, phileo. Phileo is translated love. But yet, the connotation for the word phileo is not this hotly passionate, on fire, instinct feeling, but it is a feeling of fondness. It is a it is the kind of love that you would experience between, for instance, friends, perhaps sibling kind of love. This this feeling of fondness, this feeling of closeness, this phileo. Matter of fact, the city of Philadelphia. Does anybody know the city of Philadelphia's uh, motto or statement? It's the city of brotherly love. They get this word, their, their name, Philadelphia, derives itself from this Greek word, phileo, brotherly love. And then you have the one that I really want to focus on today. Because in the midst of all of this, you have the connotation of love in Scripture that always seems to find its way when the writers are talking about God. Now, I mean, I certainly I want to understand God's kind of love. Are you flowing with me in the moment? This feels like a Greek class. We'll get through this portion. The reality of the word of God is is that God has chosen to love us in a way that it's not this hotly passionate instinct kind of feeling. And it's not even this feeling that comes with the fluttering of the heart as we love one another or we we love our siblings in these ways. It's, It's a different kind of love that doesn't resonate within the feelings at all. I mean, it is there in some sense, but, but the true root of this word and very powerful word from the scripture is this word agape. Agape. Agape is translated love. And yet, when the writers wrote agape or agape o, They understood that the connotation of this love wasn't some feeling or some fluttering or some hot passion, something that is is tied instinctively to the emotions of an individual. But when the writer wrote this word, agape, they understood that this is a love that rests itself higher in the scale. It's the top of the line. It's the kind of love that God shows toward people. And it's above feelings. It's above emotion. And it rests solely in the confines of somebody making a choice. Just I choose. I choose 
to do this. I choose to love. And, and this, this connotation of love, not completely devoid of feelings, but yet resting itself above emotion, is the kind of love that God has toward us. It is a love that is based on choice rather than feelings. This is the kind of love that is spoken about in 1 John chapter 4 in these very powerful verses. Dear friends, let us love one another. Let us agape one another. For agape, for love comes from God. Everyone who agape owes, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not agape, whoever does not love does not know God because God is agape. God is love. This is how God showed his agape. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is agape. This is love. Not that we agape owed God. Not that we loved God, but that he agape owed us. That he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so agape owed us, since God so loved us, we also ought to agape one another. We ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. His agape is made complete in us. So it is that this kind of love becomes sacrificial. See, the deviation from my notes for the moment has come to me again that came in first church for those of you that were there. And it is this realization of why so many people struggle in their walk with God because they don't understand God's kind of love. They just don't understand it. Works-based religion puts everything on performance. And I know what it's like to live my Christian experience and wonder from day to day if God even loves me. Well, how can God love me? I've had people look at me square in the face and and say to me, Pastor, I don't believe God can love me. Do you know what I've done? Do you know where I've been? Do you know how imperfect my life is? How can God love me? And the word from the Bible is this. He loves you because he chose to. He doesn't love us because of our performance. See, people who have a performance-based relationship understanding of God, when they perform well, they feel loved. But when they perform poorly, they feel unloved. See, it's not talking about agape. That's talking about more of a 
phileo, that, that it, it may go up and down at times. I've seen this acted out in children who don't truly understand the depth of their parents' love. I've watched them walk away from home plates having struck out. And I've watched them cast their eyes toward parents, either coaching on the bench or in the bleachers, and I've watched them say, I'm sorry. With their heads hung down. Because they they have such a performance-based idea of love. That when I perform well, I am loved. But when I perform poorly, then I am unloved. And I want to try to preach that off of somebody today. See, the reality of God's love for us is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get good before he pulled the trigger. The bottom line is, he looked at us from a past tense and a future tense. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to love them anyway. I'm just going to choose to love them anyway. So you can't equate the love of God with the love of people. The love of people can be shifty. People who operate in a less kind of love don't even really know how to love. They just simply go by their feelings and by their hot passion and whatever feels important in the moment. And I'm trying to say to somebody today that God's love is so much higher than that. And God is calling us to understand this as we rest for other people. That we would understand his agape is not based on what we do. It is based solely on who we are. We are his creation. We are his people. And he chooses that. He chose that. You know, I literally have had people through the years of pastoring and ministry, I've literally had people say, I don't understand why Christ would die for me. And I am saying that he he did that because he chose to. He chose to do that. I mean, you see the Old Testament and you you have this creation. In the beginning of Genesis, you have this creation where... Where God creates and says, it is good, it is good, it is good. You have all of this, it is good in creation. He created man, man is good. He gave man a wife, that was good. And then man fell. Oh, a breach in God's creation. Now, God's creation isn't what he had planned for it to be because now man has fallen and sin has entered the picture and darkness came upon the world one more time. And at this point then, God said, I must redeem man. I must must find a way to pay for this breach, this penalty. Something must be done. And so God instituted all of this relationship with Abraham and these people that ultimately became Israel. And the whole whole thing is just an illustration from God to show this is how I want to love people. I want to bless them. 
But in all of the provisions of the Old Testament, all of the blood sacrifices, and all of this, you've got to understand that all of this points to one thing. It all points to the ultimate thing that God would do to bring redemption, to, to pay for the sins. I don't understand why Christ would die for me because he chose to. He chose to. I mean, there, I mean it doesn't make sense on paper. Unless you understand agape. So it was that Old Testament sacrifices and the people of Israel flopped back and forth from being good to being bad, being good. But even in times where they were in bondage, God made it extremely clear they are still my people and I still love them. So much so, that under Roman siege, when the people of God had, had strayed so far away from any idea of relationship with God, it had all just become form and ritual. It had all just become a religion. Right in the midst of that darkness, Jesus Christ came. I mean, you know, Jesus didn't get plunked down in the middle of a red-hot revival. Think about it for a second. I mean, so terrible is it that, 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 that the, the idea of certain verses are just so terrible. I mean, it's just terrible to me to think that the writer would have to write, He came into his own, and his own received him not. What? I mean, they've been hollering for a thousand years that the Messiah was going to come. The Messiah's going to come. Yeehaw, Messiah's going to come. And when he came, their response to him was a cross. But why would they do that? Because this was the seed. This was the bed. This was the place where God said, my ultimate sacrifice, my own son, my ultimate sacrifice, he will be crucified among his own people so that my entire creation can be redeemed. See, I mean, it was moments like that that we land at John 3.16, another very popular verse. For God so loved, for God so agape, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. See, God gave his son because he believed God believed that his creation was redeemable. He believed it. And so he chose by his own will to say, I'm going to love you that much. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. See, when he looks down upon fallen creation, he sees a creation that somehow or some way is redeemable. That's why through the vacillations of life and the ups and downs, he still loves us. 
why I'm preaching what I'm preaching is because some of us need to understand this to a point where we can walk in God's love. You may have come into this house, Dan, thank you. You know what? You have no idea how many times I've stood at the plate and swung a strike. Haven't we all? The difference between those who understand God's agape and those who do not understand God's love are those who think that God somehow or another falls out of love with us when we swing a strike. Somehow or another, God falls out of love with us. But you don't know the mess I've created. And somehow or another, we equate that with our performance. And we boil this thing down and say, how can he love me? And I'm preaching today that he loves you because he chooses to. Well, there's sometimes I hit the ball right out of the park. And there's sometimes I watch the catcher catch it with my back coming around. Those of you that have played softball with me know that it's more times than not this. I gave up my softball career the last time I played on a church team. I ran to first, pulled my right thigh out. While rounding first, I ran to second, pulled my left thigh out. Standing on second base, should have been a home run. Standing on second base, I've started begging the bench for a relief runner. And I started singing with Jimmy Buffett. I'm growing older, but not up. He wrote a whole song about breaking his leg playing softball and realizing his softball career must be over. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. How could God love me? How could God care about me? Look at how many times I've swung and missed. And from heaven, heaven shouts, He loves you because He chooses to. First John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. I've spent the past many years of my ministry trying to connect people with this idea. If we could ever just settle in. Listen, if you can ever just settle in on the fact that God loves you, a whole lot of healing can come your way. A whole lot of healing can come your way. It's a revelation to stand in a place where you can truly feel saved. I know what it's like to not. I mean, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to pastor a church and not know whether or not I was saved. I was hoping I was saved. But there were so many works. Did I pray enough? Did I fast enough? I, I equated so many things about discipleship 
I moved them to the category of salvation. So many things that had to do with me growing in Christ and me maturing in Christ. I understand you need to do that. I understand we need to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Hopefully at some point in our Christian walk, we learn how to control some impulses that the Holy Spirit's been working on us. I'm not preaching that, that, that we don't need the work of the Holy Spirit to mature us in our Christian walk. But when we equate how well we perform to how much He loves us, we miss the ball. Somebody asked me, oh, it's probably been a couple of years. Somebody asked me, they said, Pastor, do you ever worry about whether or not you're saved? And I just said no. And the look on their face was, was really kind of surprising. They were like, Well, who are you, God? I said, No, but I'm loved by him. I'm loved by him. Oh, he's still working on me. That's a Christian song, you know. Like a Sunday school rhyme. He's still working on me. Make me what I ought to be. Took him just a year to make the moon and the stars. It's going to take an entire lifetime to get me where I need to be. But he's still working on me. Somebody tried to pin a professor down at Oral Roberts University, a great theologian, tried to pin him down on... This idea of eternal security and whether or not someone can be lost again once they're saved. They finally pinned down trying to, get him to, trying to get him to give them an answer. And he said, I'll finally answer every one of you. Everyone who is in Christ is secure. <laughs> as long as you stay in Christ, you're secure. That means he's still working on us. My word to you is to rest in his love. Rest in his love. All right, I'm going to close. Then Jesus plops down in the midst of the people of Israel. He lands in the midst of them, and, and he really messed them up. When he started all that beatitude stuff, you know, they were like, oh, man. What he said in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to equate, I'm going to help you understand this. Jesus said this in verse 42, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I mean, if we could see the look on those Jewish faces, they would have gone something like this. Like, what did he just say? This goes against everything we have ever been taught. This goes against everything we have ever known. We are the people of Israel. We are to love one another and we are to hate everyone else. And Jesus is turning the whole thing up on its heel because the kingdom of God isn't just about one nation. The kingdom of God is about creation. Say, how can Jesus say to agape your enemy and pray for them? Because when Jesus came, he came to redeem. He sees even your enemy. Listen to me. Even your enemy, he sees your enemy as redeemable. 
He sees even your enemy as redeemable. Now what he didn't say, flow with me for a second. What he didn't say is get in your enemy's tent. Think about this. He he didn't say call him. He said pray for him. But he said if you want to protect your heart, you have to choose to love. If you want to protect your heart, you've got to choose to love. Why? Because even that person who you think is so far gone that there is not a chance they can ever be reached by God. Jesus says, I'm holding out hope that they're redeemable. Say, give me a verse that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. All right? So here's the deal. This is Confessional 101. I'm coming out of the confession chamber to do it in front of everyone. I'm going to sit down so I don't pass out. Sometimes I struggle really bad in the area of loving those who hurt me. I mean, I, 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 I carry it. And when I read that verse, every feeling that I have on the inside of me wants to recall back and say, now wait a minute. I can can see loving you, but to love them? Mm. Until I land on this idea of agape. I didn't say you're going to call them. I didn't say you're going to have lunch with them. I didn't say you're going to meet them over coffee at Starbucks. What I said from this word is that you're going to pray for them. Okay? I'm going to tell you right now. There are some people in my life that have hurt me so strongly that any chance of a relationship with me is is just not going to happen. I'm not going to set myself up to be hurt by them anymore. I've already done that five times with them okay but I will tell you this if I understand agape is this okay or is this way way too plain if I understand this I don't have to live my life in bitterness over them if I understand this I can choose to love them and I can choose to pray for them that way my heart is protected come on somebody why Because as much as I'd like God to grab them by their their hair and just go ahead and chunk them off into the lake of fire, He still sees them as redeemable. Okay? Is that too honest for y'all in second church? He still sees them as redeemable. And so He says, what I want you to do is I want you to choose to love and pray for them. You choose to love and pray for them. That way, there's a chance that they may be redeemed and your heart's protected. All right. All right. That's agape. That's agape. Would you stand with me this morning? I believe God wants to speak to our hearts. Bow your heads with me for a second, please. Respect the moment. If you were here today and you say, Pastor, I really need a revelation in my head concerning the love of God for me. I mean, I'm just a little whacked out. 
and I need a revelation about the love of God in my life. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to call you out. Nobody will know. I give you my word. Would you just slip a hand up and say, Pastor, would you help me kickstart that in my life that I can understand the love of God? Oh, bless your heart. Thank you so much for those hands. Thank you so much. All right, hands down. Church, this is a really important moment for somebody. I mean, I know it can be mechanical to pray after someone and all that, but please, would you just respect the moment with me for a moment and let's pray together. As I lead these in this prayer, let's pray together that, that God will open their heart and open their mind to understand the love of God. Would you do that with me? So let's pray together. Father, I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would help me today to understand your love. I pray that I can get an understanding that Christ died for me. Not my performance, but for me. And that God raised Him from the dead for me. Not for my performance, but for me. And I accept that love today in my life. Open my heart to it as I declare Jesus Christ my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said amen to that. Come on, let's rejoice. Hallelujah!